So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. And today I've got another lovely conversation lined up, this time with actually an old client of mine, Nigel Wilson. And we're going to be talking all about tech change psychological safety and quality of mind. So Nigel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Piers. It's uh, great to be on and yeah, looking forward to the conversation today and unpacking some of those interesting topics. So having uh, worked in tech for a number of years, I think, and then having worked with you on a personal basis on quality of mind, fascinating now, I think those two things come together in a very important way that I'm, I'm hoping to harness to, to help more organizations get, get greater value from, from business change and tech change. Well, that's the fascinating thing of how the, the two worlds are slightly met and because you want to be helping organizations to deliver tech in a way that is much more taking into consideration the human factor. Before we get into that, can you give listeners just a minute or two about your background so they've got a little bit of context about where you're coming from? Yeah, absolutely. I've always worked in tech and professional services and software consultancy, building complex bespoke systems for clients. And in doing so, having to put together, you know, teams that have to perform in often quite difficult environments in terms of getting complex projects and programs delivered into organizations and starting out myself, hands-on technically as a, as a coder, and then moving into project and program management and then leading, uh, software consultancy businesses, it's been fascinating how the industry has evolved and just how now actually something like quality of mind probably is the, is the interesting thing to be exploring and talking about people currently in the industry are talking about this under the guise of, of psychological safety, because there's such a shortage of, of great tech talent at the minute. There's so much demand for organizations to renew, reinvent, transform using technology that from my perspective, ha, huh, well, how do you, how do you deliver this better? How do you get more out of your, out of your spend on ever scarce tech talent? And, you know, for, for, for many years, I worked in, in the agile space and looking at agile methods, but of course that's very much about organizing work and, and, and technology tasks rather than organizing the people understanding their emotions, their feelings, and how they work together as a high-performing team. And I think really it was the work that, that Google did under their project Aristotle in around 2015 that sort of brought this to the table in terms of tech organizations thinking about a little bit more about the human factors and how people work together as teams, how organizations adapt to change that, that's really sort of created this conversation and you see now increasingly number of books, studies, tools coming, coming to the fore in the tech industry because people are realizing this is the, the lever to call really in terms of getting great performance out of tech delivery. Okay. So there's lots in what you just said that I want to unpack actually. So yeah. 
So what is it do you, would you say from all your experience of, you know, being a coder, doing agile and running tech businesses as a consultant and helping clients do digital transformation, et cetera, what would you say is missing that you see that you think is so crucial to help change happen quicker, faster, easier? I think, uh, often there isn't a recognition of the, uh, true power or potential, I think, in some of this understanding. People perhaps assuming that certain environmental conditions are hardwired to trigger certain behaviors and responses, mm -hmm. uh, and teams perhaps feeling unable to have maybe the kind of courageous conversations that they might like to have with each other or key stakeholders in the organization. So you listen to something like Agile. And if you were to read about it, you know, if you were doing traditional change management or project management and you read about Agile, you go, oh, well, that's great. That looks much better than <laughs> some of the other ways of doing it. It looks quicker. It looks more nimble. You know, it, it looks like a more effective way to do it. But uh, you, you were mentioning just before we press record about actually there's still some elements of that that's missing. So it, it might be called Agile and there's a lovely methodology there, but is it still missing some of the human aspect of it then, even in the Agile methodology approach? Yeah, I believe so. And that was probably never the intention when the Agile Manifesto was developed 20 years ago. You know, it, it, it talks about individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Yet in my experience, I think as an industry, we've all talked and fallen into the trap of, we want to get better at delivering tech. We need to get better at Agile and start thinking about getting better at applying a process. And, you know, there's a, there's a growing industry around Agile coaching which to me seems to be a little bit more erring often towards the side of agile training, getting people more effective at adopting a methodology rather than actually more effective at uh, adopting a mindset and, and really truly what's going, understand what's going on within an organization, how that organization can embed uh, change that's delivered through technology and how teams can work effectively together and, we, and with each other to be more productive. Yeah. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Because I see that in lots of ways that turns out the organizations, they tend to lean towards processes and structures and things rather than to the, the person, the human element, yeah. partly because they don't understand. I mean, innocently, invisibly don't, don't understand the, the mind in the way that would help them do that. So they lean to what they can do, which is process and that kind of training. But you also mentioned something earlier in, in your, in your intro about, um, the work around psychological safety that came out of Google's project, Aristotle, you know, sort of. Eight, eight years ago where they found out that, you know, cause I mean, if there's someone that does digital and tech, it's Google, right? So but they're a bit <laughs> of an authority on this and yeah. then they found out that the teams that work best were the ones that had this thing they called psychological safety. And there was a few components of psychological safety that really made a difference. And that increased the benefit of, uh, sorry, the, the sort of benefit realization of those projects and the speed and, mm -hmm. and happier people as well. Yeah. So all great stuff. And, and that's led to the sort of desire for organizations to have psych psychological safety. And as regular listeners might know, they've listened to some of our other podcasts, you know, quality of mind has a particular view on how to deliver psychological safety, but I'd love to hear that from you, what, what you see as crucial to getting what Google was pointing to. What do you think is crucial in that? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, Jason. And I think for me, a greater understanding of, of quality of mind is interesting and probably uh, for, for the audience who aren't familiar with quality of mind, that would take a little bit of a while to 
to, to unpack. But I think, you know, if you look at us as human beings, we, we, we take data and that forms certain beliefs quite often. And, and that in our psychology creates potentially certain responses. So, you know, people will form an association perhaps between if a deadline's missed and there's an annoyed client or boss, there could be consequences to that in terms of the project or, or your individual standing within the organization. And, you know, the, the, the thinking around psychological safety is that there's sometimes certain behaviors in the workplace, certain cultures in the workplace could, <clears throat> could, if you like, damage your psychological safety. And I think the interesting thing for me through the understanding of quality of mind is actually, well, yes, there could be potential consequences to particular situations and, you know, our brains are hardwired for safety to protect us from, you know, when we lived out in the wild and we we're going to be attacked by a, a, a wild animal, you, 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 there's a response triggered deeply in the brain to keep you safe and keep you alive. Uh, unfortunately, often those things get sometimes triggered at, at work as well. If you think you're under threat and ooh, angry client, angry boss, that's not a good, good place to be. That puts you potentially into some kind of defensive mechanism. But I think the interesting thing that it's kind of put that into quality of mind, it's like, huh, well, actually, you know, we know that the, the system will reset itself. There is an always on tap infinite kind of potential resource available to us, you know, when we're open to, to receiving that. So on the one hand, as humans, we take your data, we program to process it and we create a particular response. We feel threatened perhaps in a particular scenario. But also we know from quality of mind work that's actually really no one create, can create any permanent damage to your psychological safety and the system has the ability to, to reset itself. Yeah, I think I th that's nicely put because I think the way I would look at it is that, yes, in the game of business, if there's consequences, if your project is late or whatever, of course there is, you know, you might have a client who's missed their deadlines and unhappy. So there's a consequence, but the fact that that can do anything to take away our well-being sense of you know fulfillment or, or joy or peace of mind is, is a misnomer but if the system is in in what we would call low aperture or what you might call psychological alertness or the vagal nerves triggered depending on mm -hmm. which <laughs> uh, language you want to use then it will look and feel like that it, yeah. it will and some organizations the way they are run accidentally trigger people into that fight or flight to, to use what you were saying earlier that psychological alertness and and people then start to contract down and then they're not feeling psychologically safe. They don't then tell their, 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 their colleagues or their clients when the mistakes happen because they're like, oh my God, I can't, I, you know, I need to fix this, what's happening? And so yeah. people don't express themselves, people feel on edge, they're walking on eggshells and the vicious circle continues. Now what we're pointing to equality of mind is if you know what we truly are is not at risk, it's ring fence. Whatever goes on in the game of life, whatever occurs on the screen of perception cannot be damaged by a project being late or an angry client or an angry boss. There's going to be consequences in the game of life, but it, it doesn't damage you. It can't get you, right? And our psychology, and this is one of the funniest things I think about psychological safety in a way, because it is a misnomer, because our psychology by definition is not stable, mm. right? It, it's like the weather. It changes from cloudy to sunny to rainy to whatever. So now there is something that we are before that that is stable. Yes. Right. But it's not what appears on the screen of perception in our psychology. So trying to get our psychology to be stable and never get triggered because of its learned conditioning, it's just not 
a thing to do. I mean, it's just like, you know, no one minds when a two-year-old has a tantrum. Mm. They go, well, that's fine. That's not who they are. As a two-year-old, we don't think the tantruming in two-year-old is the two-year-old. We just go, well, that's what two-year-olds do, right? So, but I think we take ourselves far more seriously as adults and think, well, what, what, if I have a bad day because of this, that, and that's who I am. And then that sort of seeps into our, into our psyche in, 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 and, then, and then all the vicious circle continues. But if we see that the psychological alertness triggers that when they come are just telling us we're in the wrong aperture, and we don't take it, we don't need to then do anything about that because it will self-correct. Off we go. And, and I think that's, the, that's the misnomer. I think that, so it, it's not about saying, oh yes, there aren't going to be things that go wrong in businesses. Of course there are, but it's when you recognize what they are, they don't really bother you. And you can quickly get back into that higher aperture, that higher quality of mind, which will give you more resourcefulness and resilience to do yeah. with it. And I think, um, the work that professor. Uh, Amy Edmondson from Harvard did, she defined it really neatly, what was behind psychological safety. And she says it's about humility, curiosity, and empathy amongst colleagues and teammates, yeah. things like that, and stakeholders. So if you think about it, humility, curiosity, and empathy, you could go, well, great, how do I have some more of those? Now, I'm going to suggest, and I'd love to hear your view, is from your understanding of quality of mind and, and the work we've done, how do you now see humility, curiosity, and empathy, and your your ability to have those attributes? Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Through the understanding we've talked about, those things are, are there when the aperture is open and allows it to flow. We talked about flow states. That's what you know. This uh, a lot of this work points to is actually when people are in flow and when teams are working openly and effectively together, you get better results as a business. And I think most people recognize actually you have times when you're in flow, you're highly productive. A lot of the kind of stuff we talked about, those kind of nagging things in the psychology that's like, oh, you know, I'm, I feel threatened or am I good enough to do this or whatever, but those kind of self things in the, in the, in the software, as I call it, in the psychology are, are, are often disappear and, and the, the sort of the. The hardware just sort of takes over and those, and those things flow. So I think, yeah. Well, that's an interesting metaphor, actually. Let's, let's use the tech metaphor, given we're talking about tech. So, uh, and I, I might be get this wrong. So you, you have this, Nigel, but would it be fair to say that things like the humility, curiosity, empathy flow are in our very innate firmware as opposed yes. to our software? Is, yes. is that an accurate metaphor? Yeah, and that is exactly the metaphor. And, 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 you know, when we've talked about what's behind the self and the psychology and, and having a, a, a constant source of, of resource and potential, then absolutely that's in the firmware and it's built into the firmware in a way that, you know, can't be damaged through any of this psychological so, yeah. and and is accessible when the wrong thing's going on on the, on the user interface or in the software yeah. that are preventing you from accessing that. Yes, and sometimes we have to you know, you've got to do a control out delete to, to, to reset, to go back yep. to, yeah. to, to firmware. Close down the app and restart it. Yeah, yeah it, it, exactly. <laughs> and I, and I guess what we're talking about is that if we understood that more, we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't get so caught out by the glitches in the software or, or whatever, you know, we, 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 we have more available and, and more yes. of the, the raw power of what we are is available to deal with whatever 
we, we need to deal with. So absolutely. Uh, and I think the fascinating thing to this understanding and the conversation on psychological safety in tech is then what's our response to that, given that understanding and, you know, traditional sorts of, uh, organizational thinking is if you want to, you know, look after your people and improve human performance, that's typically human resources type activity where there might be training policies and procedures, surveys, that sort of, that sort of typical response. It'd be interesting to explore it yourself, your sort of view on that. And I think I know what the answer would be that actually what, what we're trying to do there is like perhaps measure and adapt the software, the psychology, rather than actually giving people the understanding of what's available to them, which would then actually lock that potential for people. Yes. I, it, it's a lot of reverse engineering going on with an innocent often invisible misunderstanding of how the nature of the, of the system works. So what a lot of organizations do is they try to, either they try to embed behaviors and, and they do that through psychological methods. So they, they sort of suggest prescriptions for how you should behave in certain ways or, or it may not even behave, but it might be attitudinal prescriptions saying, well, here, here's the attitude, be authentic or be curious or whatever. So if it's, if it's not a behavioral prescription, it's an attitudinal prescription and that's fine if you remember to do it and you're able to access that thought in that moment, which we're not always right mm -hmm. by, by definition, or they equip people with kind of psychometrics and evaluations and feedback mechanisms where they give people, well, this is your style that you, you know, you're going to be like this, you're going to be like this. And when you work with someone like that, you might do that, you know, the, the MBTIs and the discs and the, all yeah. sorts of, you know, and they're kind of interesting, but again, they're at the level of self, right? that they're at the level of what's presenting itself on the screen of perception. And it's not what we truly are. There's something before that. So they're too downstream. And what we're pointing to with quality of mind is more upstream. And then once you look at it at that level, all those attitudes and behaviors that you kind of want just sort of come online. So it comes back to what Amy Edmondson was saying, you know, well, she's pointing to humility, curiosity, and empathy. Now, if you sent someone on a training course to get humility, curiosity, and empathy from a behavioral perspective or an attitudinal perspective, you'd be giving people tools and techniques and kind of, mm. you know, and that's, that's nice to know, but it's not really shifting it for you because either you, either you'll be able to access that or you won't. Right now, yeah. when we understand that at our true nature, those things are just innate humility, curiosity, empathy, you know, in what we are in, in an open aperture, high quality in mind, you tend to be more curious. You, 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 you know, you're more interested yeah. in people. Your ego is not playing. Right. And that doesn't, that, that's, that doesn't come from doing any, applying any tool or technique. It's a subtractive approach where you just go, oh, at my very essence, I am those things. Right. When I'm in a higher, because everyone's had experiences in teams, haven't they? Where that flow state we're talking about, it's just been there. It's been the best project ever. And it's really yeah. worked. And you've had times when it's been the opposite. Right. So it's not like you have to be taught how to be humble, curious, and, and have, have empathy. Right. Yeah. That is innate. And a bit of, you know, what you might even call it common sense. Right. Yeah. So why don't we? Well, because we get triggered through our conditioning, through the psychological alertness that organizations set up. And because we self-identify with the pressure going, well, if I fail on this project, then I won't get promoted because our ego is seeking, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it, most interventions are aiming in the wrong place, innocently aiming in the wrong place. And, um, 
yeah, and that, that, that's my view. As you, as you said, you'd probably guess what I'd say. But, I, but I'm now interested to know that, Nigel, so given that you see the relevance and importance of this, and the potential game-changing nature, when you, with your new venture now, which is helping organizations deliver technology transformation and things, it, it sounds like what you're going to be doing is, is including in that mandate for how you do change more of an understanding of the mind and people than most of the industry does at the moment. Is that sort of what you're looking to do? You're looking to incorporate that in as a key variable or a key factor? Yeah, very much so. Because I think, you know, it, it, it's fascinating that just the sheer amounts of efforts and investment that's going into, into tech at the minute and the fact that actually, you know, people are starting to talk this and the guys of psychological safety that actually it's how we, how we work and feel about work. The, the, the world that has, has a big impact on this and where, you know, some of this understanding can make a, a pretty big difference really. And I think how we apply this understanding could be a real uh, eye opener, I think, for, for organizations in terms of, yeah, how do we, how do we get to where we want to be? How do we get people to accept change? How do we adopt a more agile mindset? How do we access what we want to in terms of, you know, high performing teams? And because it sounds like there's a couple of elements here. I mean, the one is you mentioned there's a scarcity of uh, tech talent. Absolutely. So there's on the people doing the tech, if you want to call it yeah. that. How do you get, well, how do you get more out of them so that they're more productive? How do you keep the great ones so that they don't get yeah. headhunted by lots of money somewhere else? So there's the tech talent side. And there's also about when implementing tech in an organization, how you allow the users or, or, or the people who are going to be benefited from that tech to actually see the new way of working and it not just be, oh, there's that new thing that they want us to do. Yeah, predominantly in, you know, the, the, the challenge around the scarcity of tech talents and getting tech delivered effectively and making high performing teams. We're a recognition, of course, that, you know, you need to adopt that change in the organizations. And, and so, yeah, this understanding is helpful in, in that regard as well. But the digital transformation you know, it's much banded about term and much probably overloaded term in terms of the means different different organizations, but it's not a tech project, it's a change project that impacts the whole organization. So I think it's yeah. important to, to, to recognize that and, you know, any change succeeds or fails based on the, 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 the people and their outlook on that change and how that, yeah. there's a lot of perception. You know, oh, it's changing. How does that impact me, my job? And the self kicks in a lot. People get a lot of kind of locality mind around change, typically. Yeah, they do. And and there's even, you know, that's even normalized. I mean, there's the Kubler-Ross change curve. I, I know that gets yeah. used in organizations, which was the, yeah, you know, which like, that one. You, you will feel bad about change. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that I mean, that, gosh, I, I kind of like, I'm very curious about why people think that's a good idea because it. To me, change is quite simple at one level. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's quite simple. I mean, change comes from people having realizations, right? And by realization, we mean when one set of thinking dissolves and a new one arises or one set of perceptions dissolve and a new one arises. So if you want what we call behind the eye change, people to see the obviousness of what needs to happen in an organization, probably via tech given nowadays, right? You know, then they need to have their own seeing of that, their own recognition and realization around the need for this change, which is going to future proof their organization. Yeah. If not, then you're dragging them through the change curve, kicking and screaming and kind of, oh, you know, because, and, and that's just because they haven't had the realization of the obviousness of the change. And sometimes people tend to kind of 
fix that with some employee engagement, which or employee, you know, comms, which uh, again may or may not work, but it's not pointing in the right place. It's not upstream enough. Mm. So I think you're right. There's no such thing as a tech project. It's a change project that happens to use tech. Yes. If if, if the project starts in IT, just to be generalizing, you know, as a oh yeah, we're we're putting some new tech in. No, you're not. There's human beings that are going to be involved in that. Um, so what would you say there? I, I don't realize it can be generalized, but w with the tech talent that's out there, obviously they need some real skills and expertise in the, in the tech side, but are, how much is their ability to understand what we're sort of pointing to and the role of the, the human and the mind in their ability to, to deliver great change? How much of that do they, if I'm generalizing, does the tech talent get? Or do they just think, well, actually, all I'm about is how well I can code or whatever it is? Yeah, it's very much uh, in an emergent state, really, a lot of this a lot of this thinking. There are some organizations, as you would say, you know, places like a Google who are very attuned to this, having done their own research on it. But I think the, the traditional thinking and probably still the pervasive thinking of rolling industry is like, ah, yeah, in terms of delivering tech projects, it's about tech talent and the, 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 the depth of understanding or expertise around particular technology skills, and then how you organize the work through agile delivery methods. Actually, the, the, the human factors, uh, aside from when you get into more sort of deeper organizational change in an organization, the, the, the human factors around tech delivery don't really get the sort of, I think it's the biggest lever you can pull, right? If you've got, if you've got, the, you've got the tech expertise, the agile methods, and then the, 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 the human factors and then something of quality of mind, I think that's probably the biggest lever on productivity. And yet it's the one that's underrepresented, I feel, at the moment. Well, that's interesting. I'll just summarize that because I think that's a really neat way of putting it. It sounds like what you're saying is there's three elements they need. They need the technical skills to be able to do the, 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 the tech, whatever that might be. They need to understand the process or, or, or of something like agile. So how they're all going to work together in the process. Yeah. And they need to have an understanding of something like quality of mind. Now, what you're saying is of those three, actually the problem, the quality of mind was probably the most important, but it's the, it's the least valued and sort of recognized one. Is it least, least talked about, represented, recognized, uh, the, the, you know, some elements of coaching and development gets towards this, but, uh, as I mentioned before, a lot of the kind of coaching in the tech space tends to be. Agile coaching is, tends to unfortunately often veer towards method rather than minds. Yeah, so that, that, that's the, the second box we're talking to. So it might yeah. train them nicely on a method. Yeah. won't understand the mind element to do with that. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose if there's a scarcity of talent, one can argue they can get away without having all of those three. Because if it was a really competitive market, they'd have to get good on all three. But if there isn't, if there's a scarcity of talent, it might be, well, yeah, you, you can code, you can come along kind of thing. Yeah, which is interesting that you, there's that perspective. Of course, the reverse perspective is if there is a scarcity of talent, why are we trying to unlock the full potential of that talent? Well, exactly. So, so that you can get more out of each, each, each. Because the current, yeah, absolutely. And the current sort of industry response around the, the sorts of tech talent is to, well, one, prices have gone up massively in the market. That's how markets function, right? Second is looking at new and novel ways of getting talent to the sector, which again is great and, and very worthy in terms of 
people returning to work, cross-training people from different sectors, bringing people in from different backgrounds. So that's, that's great in terms of improving the diversity of the industry and bringing, trying to get people into tech that wouldn't have considered a career in tech before to address the shortage. But to me, if there is a shortage, surely we should be looking at unlocking the full potential of the people that we have. And if this thing, psychological safety, actually quality of mind, it has a big impact on that. We should be talking about that a lot more than we are. Probably. Yeah. And because, so to me, that's an absolute no brainer, obvious thing to do. Right. But I, <laughs> I am biased. I will hold my bias a bit. So when I'm curious to know when you've been talking to potential clients and, and, um, the market about this, and I realize it's a little bit early days where you are at the moment, but what's their sort of view Are they seeing it? Are they like, yeah, I think you're understanding here, Nigel, where are they at? Are they ready for this obviousness? Really a mix is, uh, really is a mix in the, you know, there's more resources now out there and more people sort of in the, in the industry talking about this, more books, including this in mainstream sort of, uh, this is how you do this transformation. Actually, the human factor, psychological safety uh, is, is part of that. So there's a growing awareness, but I wouldn't say it was necessarily mainstream in the way that, you know, we talk about agile and other things in the industry. You see, this is something I just observed. So if you, and I'm just going to widen it out now to say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, mental health wasn't really talked about in organizations at all, or mental wellness. No. And it has got a lot more popular in the last five, 10 years, which at one level is great, you know, brilliant. And, and psychological safety, I'd say is part of that. Yeah. Um, the, the challenge I see is that as that's become more popular, the, their way of seeing it which in my mind is the wrong paradigm is also got more popular. Mm. So they're, they're diagnosing this, this issue, but their solution is not the right solution for the reasons we talked about earlier. It's too downstream. It's not really understanding the nature of the mind. It slightly self self perpetuates the problem. So I suppose great that there's more recognition and awareness that there's a human aspect to this, but it'd be great also even double great if they actually realize the solution is not necessarily to just, you know, go more downstream into more processes and sort of tools and techniques and actually understand something very profound and yet practical about yeah. the nature of the mind. Yeah. Because I think that that's where I, I see it as a real opportunity to, to not go down the wrong route again. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, and it is fascinating. I think, yeah, we're not there yet. I, I love the fact that you're pioneering this. I and mean, I think it's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I am who I am with my unique set of experiences and career journey and personal journey. And for me, like, huh, the next chapter, how do I, how do I bring those things together? And as you say, it was almost an obviousness. It's like, well, you know, how has, how has this happened that, that, that things I've been exploring personally and professionally seem to come together at a moment in time in the industry when this is, this is called for, and there's a growing awareness of the need for this sort of thinking in the sector. So, um, yeah, call it the stars aligning or, or, or what you will, it, 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 it became yeah, very obvious to me that this is something, uh, it's very, very contemporary in terms of what's happening in the industry, as you say, growing awareness of. Factors like mental well-being, but actually the shortage of tech talent, the impact of, of psychological safety on performance—it it has to be the thing that we're that, that we're looking at and addressing. Yeah, 
So it's absolutely paramount in the way and crucial to organizational change. And there's some statistic, isn't it? You, you, you might know more than me about how many change programs deliver on time and on budget and, and, and on quality. And it, it's something like, was it 88% don't or something? It's, it's some huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, change is hard, right? And it's hard because it's a human endeavor with lots of different individuals involved. And... Yeah. So, so you, you've got lots of moving pieces. You've got lots of human beings. The text almost like by the by, because it, it is interesting in the way people, and you'll know more than me, procure tech and the way then that the supplier tries to help stroke hinder that. It, 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 it looks very complicated in the way that they package up the tech solution. And it seems to quite quickly be possible to get people's backs up when they feel that the tech providers overcharging them or they change the scope or the scope creep. And it just seems to push people more into a lower aperture. The way the tech is procured, I, I don't know whether you want, we want to go into that, but it's just a thought that I, I've seen in organizations. Yeah, and then you and, and you're right. And I think actually the way tech is procured just changed while I've been in the industry, but but it brings with it other the challenges. So certainly the challenge that you described still exists where, you know, an organization has has, has bought a complex solution and it's just like, ooh, but of course you can't pin down exactly what a complex technology solution is going to do in advance. Uh, hence people moving to more agile thinking. I think as we as we've moved as an industry towards fully embracing agile, there's been a quite a fundamental shift in organization buying a, a tech solution to buying capacity and expertise. So capability that they don't have in their organization, capacity that having their organization to deliver tech change from suppliers. That brings with itself its own challenges, which makes this conversation even more relevant because it's not about going to a, a, a third party supplier and say, We'll give you a million pounds to build this software system for us. Thank you very much. It's, ah, we've got these gaps in our organization. We'd like you to build because these types of individuals or these types of teams embed those in our organization. So you've then got not just all the, all the normal day-to-day challenges of working in tech on the delivering complex pieces of work, but actually you've got often multiple suppliers and their own individual people, unique cultures embedding into a client's organization to deliver that change. Yes. So in, in the way that they need to embed that talent and capacity uh, and competency into the organization that you've got lots of different stakeholders, cultures merging all coming together and, and not everyone, and maybe silos, as opposed to it being a totally sort of outsourced solution that, you know, it, it's done to you. It, yeah. So that brings a complexity in terms of people understanding what's going on. And I, and I suppose there's also in tech, there's a, a, there's an element of some people won't know the tech, the technology piece, and then they feel a bit threatened because they don't know whether, cause it, cause it's, you know, there might be some things that are beyond them in a sort of technical perspective. So does that mean they then get more concerned because they don't really know whether that, that particular change is needed or isn't needed or, you know. Because only the tech people know the tech. So does that create more anxiety for people who are, who are literally, the, you know, the sponsors of the program? Yeah. Yeah. And often, often the challenge can be that relationship between, you know, the technology teams, stakeholders in, in the organization. And then of course, how the, 
how the end user needs, if you're building a new digital service for, for an organization, how the tech teams then get the representation of the end user needs transferred into the pro program as well. So yeah, lots of, lots of complex interrelationships and communications and opportunities for inefficiencies and, and, and so challenges. It reminds me of sometimes I just play with the words for people. So, you know, you've got change is definitely complex, but does it have to feel complicated? Right. That's yeah. a quality of mind difference. Yes. We're overloading. It's complex to I'm overwhelmed and it's all really complicated <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm at risk. My career's at risk if this doesn't go well. And I think mm. when people start attaching their career or their next career move to yes. what's going on, they're very invested in their own survival in the organization or ego or whatever. Yeah. And then they start making odd decisions. So yeah, there's, there's a lot there. So Nigel, if we were going to summarize this, so Nigel, what I'm hearing is that for all your decades of experience in tech and change, you've seen that one of the key factors that needs to be considered isn't just people's technical abilities, isn't just their understanding of something like agile, but also their understanding of how to create higher quality of mind, or you might say more psychological safety. And you've seen that's kind of missing from both on the people adopting the change and particularly from the people who are doing the change in terms of the tech talent. And what you're looking to do is to bring your understanding of quality of mind and your huge experience in how tech change works to enables them to get change in a quicker, easier, more cost-effective way by making the quality of mind or the psychological safety elements more paramount and more kind of respected and recognized. Yeah, absolutely. Please. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, very mature work and thinking around technology capabilities and, and, and agile methods. What it seems to me isn't as well represented yet are those human factors that actually I think have a potential to have a big impact on how we technology deliver change into organizations. And that's the thing that I'd like to uh, address and focus more, more energy on and, and, and help clients to understand and, and benefit from. And if there's an organization listening, going, oh yeah, yeah, we, we know that. Yeah. We, we know it's important to do the human elements, but they're doing it in the way that you and I would describe as downstream through process and sort of training and things. W what would you say to them that they're missing? Even, even though they think they kind of realize the human elements are important. I think it would be a case of, yeah, considering developing this understanding and thinking a little bit more holistically about the mind and the impact that that has on people in the work and potentially exploring this understanding. We could talk about some of the factors around psychological safety. One of those is curiosity. And I would suggest to people to embrace that curiosity and to, to, to explore with, with, with an open mind, perhaps some of this work and this understanding, because I think that, that, that might uh, potentially unlock some new avenues of thinking. For That's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I imagine people are quite curious about new forms of tech because they know it's an emerging field. Do they know the understanding of the mind is also an emerging field? Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, something which is our understanding is constantly evolving and as we find, you know, better ways of, of, of delivering software, we're also finding new understandings of, of, of how the mind works. So if someone's listened to this and is a little bit curious, and let's say they're about to, or they're in the middle of, or about to do some change in their organization. What, what would you recommend they do, Nigel? What would you urge them to consider? <laughs> Probably look at some of the more, more of the work that you and I have, uh, have done, Piers, and, and reach out to, for a conversation.
yeah, and that's invite listeners. If you're interested in understanding more about quality of mind or more about, particularly about how quality of mind intersects with tech and change, psychological safety, do reach out. We, this podcast is only meant to give you just a little hint, a gist, a taste to make this relevant for your scenario. That's going to be by a one-to-one conversation or something like that. So, um, Nigel, I, I think what you're, you're going to be doing is going to be a roaring success because the need is so huge. I can't see how it can't be really. I wish you all the best with it. So it's wonderful. Thank you, James. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Well, thank you. And listeners, as always, have fun being curious and we'll catch you on the next one. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to know more, check out our website at qualityofmind.biz and also feel free to reach out and leave us a review or a comment. Until next time, have fun being curious.